0: When you're translating, you want to make sure that you're using the features that are natural in their language.
1: Welcome to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Rich Radosky.
2: And I'm Emily Wilson.
1: Before we get into today's episode, we want to announce that the Essentially Translatable podcast is now available in Audible. So if you use that app for your audiobooks and like that interface, you can search for Essentially Translatable there and subscribe in that environment. And every time a new episode comes out, it'll be right there with all your audiobooks. I think that also means that you can tell Alexa to play Essentially Translatable, and she will, though I haven't tried that one out yet. So if some of you at home want to give that a try and let us know... Uh, We'd appreciate that.
2: (laughs) We're also on Apple's podcast platform. So if you use that, we encourage you to subscribe there. And if you do please leave us a rating and a comment. That would be great. We are told it uses algorithms to help find the podcast easier. Yes, those algorithms,
1: they're mysterious, but somehow they work, or at least (laughs) we are told so. So if you can test that theory out also, leaving a rating there, that would be awesome. We're also on the Google podcast platform. So if you say, hey, Google, like they do at my house, and tell it to play essentially translatable, it will do that. My wife likes to listen to iHeartRadio, and we're also there, as you can find, and mark and subscribe to Essentially Translatable on iHeartRadio. So we encourage you to subscribe wherever you get your podcast content and share it with your friends. We're uh, we're having a lot of fun with uh, mm. <laughs> the interviews and the content we're able to put together in the Essentially Translatable podcast. And if you like it, we hope you share it with your friends.
2: Absolutely. So on today's podcast, we chatted with Dr. Becky Grossman, and she honored us with uh, sharing about her experiences in Bible translation ministry in Liberia, West Africa, and a little bit of what she's headed to, into next. But also, we learned a little bit about the impact of small words like then in Bible translation ministry and what brings joy in intercultural ministry around the world and how it impacts the growth of the global church. Listen in, sit back, relax, enjoy the ride.
1: Okay, we are talking to Dr. Becky Grossman today who is coming to us from Michigan and Becky is a translation consultant with several languages in Liberia. Thanks for being on the podcast today, Becky.
0: Thank you, Rich. It's great to be here.
2: We're excited to have you. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit, Becky, because I was really excited in your recent having your doctoral program completed and then some recent publications and really excited to introduce you to our listeners. So could you share a little bit about how you got involved in Bible translation work and what were you doing before and how did God lead you to serve with LBT?
0: Well, God actually put his call in my life at a very early age of five or six. My mom introduced me to two missionary friends of hers. One was in Bolivia, Karen Merkel, with World Mission Prayer League,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and one in Papua New Guinea, Helen Martin. She mm-hmm. was one of LBT's first missionaries. Mm-hmm. So we would pray for these ladies regularly. And I was particularly interested in what Helen was doing. And it really shocked me that people did not have Bibles. Mm-hmm. You know, how mm-hmm. could people mm-hmm. come to learn about Jesus, my best friend, if they didn't have Bibles? Right. So I felt I needed to do something about that, like what Helen was doing. And that's really how I started out in LBT. <laughs> and so then I, you know, anytime LBT missionaries would come through or the executive directors or whoever, I would always go and make sure that I got to their program. And Dale and Alfina Federwitz came to our church when I was in junior high, mm-hmm. and they mentored me along the way. They were there in Liberia when I was there, and Dale was the director when I was assigned to work with the Bondi Project. So, yeah, it was a, it was a long process to actually become a missionary with LBT, but
2: God just kept that calling very strong in my heart. It's pretty incredible, seeing how. God was working in and through those people, working in and through your mom to make right. those introductions. Mm-hmm. And pretty cool. I mean, how can you, like how many people can say that they met their mentors in junior high and <laughs> to be able to be their colleagues someday? Pretty cool.
1: So you worked right. on the, the Bondi New Testament project. Now, how far did you, you go in that project in your time there, that kind of first go around with LBT?
0: Well, the project had already been started by previous missionaries. Don and Dini Kovac were there most recently before I was in the project, and I actually was doing kind of an assessment or a survey with the team when I realized what they needed. They were they had eighty percent of the New Testament drafted when I went up to first visit the team in my role. At that time, I was working with the language programs manager, and they. They needed someone to help them bring it to completion. So that's basically what I did. I jumped in kind of in the middle and helped train a few more team members, and then we took it through to the end.
1: Okay, yeah. Some of our listeners may know that the infamous Dr. Rodewald also had some uh, part in the body (laughs) program. Was he still around at that time too?
0: He was not. He was in the States and he was determined to uh, pursue Cindy for his wife. So <laughs> okay. he couldn't rush that. And, and so, no, we never actually had the privilege of working together. But of course, his work with the orthography and building up the community relationships, that's all very much an important process. And I benefited from all of that.
1: Hmm. Good. So then finished work there with the Bondi New Testament. Walk us through what happened next.
0: Well, um, we actually extended our term so that we could finish. And so then we left Liberia after the New Testament was turned in to the consultant, who at that time was Larry Johnson. Mm -hmm. Liberia was in the midst of a civil war. So after we left, a lot of things happened and our missionaries were evacuated and it Mm -hmm. didn't make sense for us to go back Mm -hmm. right then. And with our our small children and just other assignment issues, we didn't go back
2: at that time. So how is it that you came back to LBT then? Well,
0: you know, in 2002, my husband took a different job. And so we left LBT. But I always just that that calling that God had placed on my life was always there. And I was always wondering, well, how can God still use my skills? Could that short time I spent in Liberia, is that it? And so as my children got older, new technologies were coming out. And of course, they were older, and some of them had even left home. And I'd heard about Jonathan Burmeister working with teams while he was in the States using the internet to help him do checking. And that really piqued my interest, because I thought, well, if he can do it, maybe I could do that as well. Because at that time, it was still not um, conducive for you know, our family to pick up and you know move somewhere again. And so I started inquiring as, you know, if that was even possible. Mm -hmm. And at that same time, LBT was looking for someone as a volunteer missionary to just go for three, four weeks to Liberia to do some survey work to Mm -hmm. see the viability of a couple of language groups that were requesting translations of the Old Testament. And so it was kind of a trial run for me Mm -hmm. um, to see how I would do, how my family would do, my previous experience in Liberia was helpful because we were traveling, you know, all over in the in the country, and I kind of knew the language and I knew some people. So that was kind of the the kickstart or the jump off point. So then I completed applying, and that's how I got back in, I guess.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, back in, in what? Uh, about ten years ago now already. Is that
0: right? um, close? Uh, Twenty yeah.
2: thirteen
0: was when okay. I
2: was mm-hmm. officially
0: accepted back into yeah. service.
2: All right. So I'm a little curious, Becky. How has internet changed over the past few years, and how has that impacted your your work with your colleagues in Liberia? Well, we've always,
0: it's been my prayer for the entire time I've been in, pray for my internet, pray for their internet. When we were here just, just prior to my coming on to LBT, we were still using dial-up where I live. Mm-hmm. And so we, we still struggle. We, we use mostly cell towers here, and that's what they use in Liberia as well. Sure. But, this, but there are a lot more cell towers. Everybody has cell phones there now. And just recently, we were able to test some modems in the interior that actually worked fairly well as long as the whole internet system was working we were able to do checking we could hear each other well and we were able to share our programs so that we could do do the checking and they 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 were always amazed you know we're you're five thousand miles (laughs) away and able to do this
2: and it's like yeah it's be incredible
1: yeah and I a very real way, a little bit ahead of time. I mean, this right. is now becoming a very normal thing <laughs> to, to try right. to find these remote ways to work. So
2: right. You're ahead of the curve, Becky. <laughs> well,
0: other people were ahead of it before I got involved. But, uh, yeah, trying to make it continue to work.
1: So you recently received a doctorate at, uh, from Gordon, yeah, from Gordon Conwell Theological you. Seminary. We wanted to talk a little bit about that. So the the doctoral program in general is a Bible translation focus, correct?
0: Right. The particular track that I took was focusing on Bible translation.
1: What are kind of the, some of the things covered? Just out of curiosity, in a Bible well, translation we looked... doctoral program.
0: Yeah, we looked at the history of just exegetical, you know, interpreting the scriptures, how that works. We talked about meaning, you know, where does meaning really lie? Does it lie in your source text or does it lie when people hear it and how they interpret it? So we had a lot of discussion about that. We talked a lot about different ways translation principles have changed or or evolved over the years and what's important and how do we do that and, you know, looking more at context and Mm. not just the grammar, Mm. um, but the whole context of who's hearing it and where did it come from and how is it going to impact the community. So many different aspects of the entire translation process.
1: And then as a part of that work, of course, you had a capstone paper, thesis, and uh, you recently published content from that in the Bible Translator Journal, an article entitled Assessment of a Discourse Workshop, Design, Implementation, and Outcomes. So right. uh, briefly, uh, how would we explain this to uh, a layperson in terms of uh, what does all that even mean?
0: <laughs> well, it was quite a long title, just to cover what we were doing. Right. Back in July 2017, we had a workshop with the three teams that we were working with there and Carla Barsh from SIL came. She has written material on using natural narrative discourse or even like, okay, if you're studying poetry or whatever you're studying, using it with the, the indigenous teams, not focused so much at the linguists, but at, at the mother tongue translators mm. so that they could discover features of their own language So we wanted to discover, we were focused on the narrative text. We wanted to discover what the features were that they have in their story so that we could make our translations more natural. So my article describes that process and the results of that workshop. So we wanted to evaluate both the process of helping the translators discover the features and then seeing how these discoveries could change their translation. So we did comparisons of the natural texts and then of their translated texts to see if or how they used the features they discovered to make their translations better. And then we also wanted to see how we could increase the capacity of the translators themselves, giving them more tools to use mm. as they translated larger sections of scripture. And of course, the focus for this workshop was just more the, the narrative texts.
2: So talking about discourse, can you share a little bit about what does that look like, especially as you're talking about looking at stories in their local context? What does that look like? Okay, well, discourse
0: can mean a lot of different things. Our conversation here this morning is a discourse. (laughs) Telling a story is a discourse, a poem, a letter, those things can Mm. all be a discourse. And of course, how we talk to each other this morning is is very much different than how I might write a story about how we talked. Mm-hmm. And so every language has ways that they do that. So that's why in the workshop we just chose to focus on how you tell a story, how you tell a true story, because that's different, of course, we know then
1: mm-hmm.
0: how you might tell a, a fable or how you might tell a fairy tale. Right. And, and if you tried to do too many different kinds of discourses, then, of course, our workshop would have been very much longer so we we need to focus and that's um, narrative discourse is usually one of the easier types of discourse to study initially especially for people who are just learning how to discover discourse features so that's why we use narrative
1: mm-hmm. yeah so what you're really talking about doing is is having people stop and examine something that you do without really thinking about it <laughs> and then to think right. about it and say okay so if you do it this way Mm-hmm. what does that look like for the translation so yeah talk about right. kind of the importance of why why that's an important thing to to try to step back and focus on
0: right so in in a discourse or a whole chunk of language there there are actually kind of rules or practices or common features that are used over and over again with the different types of discourses. And so sometimes we refer to these different types as genres. And so when you're translating, you want to make sure that you're using the features that are natural in their language. So how do you begin a story? When and how do you use a story? How do you introduce a new character to a story and keep track of them in your text? How do you create the excitement or the tension? Or how do you end a story? And so all these features are important because, of of course, that helps the reader understand the message better. But it also gives a translation credibility because the language sounds good. Mm -hmm. You don't want to hear a story about Jesus that's told badly, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) because then it's like, well... If they can't even talk my language right, how do mm-hmm. how can I believe that Jesus is real, right? Mm-hmm. So there's some serious ramifications to making that translation effective and natural sounding mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, normal. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So g- give us a couple examples in English how this might look.
0: Okay. So if I was going to tell you a, a story about Jesus, I wouldn't begin it with "Once upon a time." Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we know that that's a that's a common phrase we use when we are telling a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And so another example in English, uh, sometimes when people read through the New Testament, it's a little confusing with Paul's letters because in English we talk, we say, dear so-and-so, and Mm -hmm. and then we have our letter and then we say love or sincerely, Mm
2: -hmm. you know, Becky
0: Grossman. Whereas in Paul's letters, he begins with, you know, here's who I am and here's all my Mm -hmm. credentials. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a little backwards for us so some of those things can cause confusion if if we're not paying attention
1: so in a and of course the english translations of the bible go ahead they leave paul's letters how they are in the translations you work on might you might you like okay let's just use the english example might you do something that's the equivalent of moving it to the end or would you keep it at the beginning and just kind of how might you decide Mm -hmm. which way to handle that
0: well, in my experience, we've kept some of that structure how they did it. For mm-hmm. one thing, it's yeah. cultural. So right. you teach people that cultural thing. Other times, um, you're looking at, okay, then verse one, you're going to find at you know the end of the book, right. and that's mm-hmm. going to be maybe confusing, especially in places where they maybe already have a translation mm-hmm. in a language of wider communication. And so they're going to be comparing, excuse me, are also just... Um, following along and so Mm -hmm. credibility there too is hey you know you've got to translate this how it looks in the source text so there's always this balance of Mm -hmm. figuring out how much of the features do we retain and what can we change and it doesn't really distort the message to have Paul introduce himself at the beginning it's not really a distortion Mm -hmm. and you know readers can figure that out so there's always this balance with balancing clarity and naturalness with the accuracy and whatnot Mm
1: -hmm. yeah for sure it's very much kind of reflects that the task of bible translation is at the same time very context specific and incarnational but at the same time universal in terms of the whole christian faith and so nothing happens in a vacuum and Mm -hmm. like you mentioned comparing other translations or now the verses it's just fascinating all the things to wrestle with in a in a translation
2: And you've hinted at it, Becky, of like that we have this ABCs of Bible translation and accurate, beautiful, and clear, and how important it is for a language community to find the translation to be these things uh, and to uh, match the linguistic standards of how they would speak and uh, in those discourse markers. So, I'm wondering if you could share how discourse markers tie in to make a translation more accurate, beautiful, and clear.
0: Right. So, when we're talking about discourse markers, that can be a number of different things. It could be connectors. It could be things like a very short sentence where things got mm-hmm. exciting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It could be who gets to speak, or it could be how, who gets a name in the story. You know, your more important characters are probably going to get a name. But there's also um, cultural values that come into play as well. So I have a couple examples, and one of them I wrote about in my paper was, you know, from studying Bondi and from studying some of their texts, we realized they don't use a lot of connectors in their natural stories and in their texts. Mm -hmm. And so as I was working with one language and I saw these connectors always being used, I was really suspicious. So I was very thankful when we had the workshop because it confirmed my suspicions the translators had always put in a connector that they would tell me meant then Mm -hmm. every place it was in one of our more um, literal English translations translating the Greek word chi which can mean a lot of of different things but Mm -hmm. they use it more often and and in English we tend to do that in a story well then this happened and then this happened Mm -hmm. and and so they just felt bound to also have something in their translation. And I asked them, you know, how does this sound? And they're kind of like, well, but we have to have it, don't we? Mm-hmm. And so when I pointed out to them how in their stories that connector was only used maybe once, maybe twice in a story. And it was where the problem was solved in mm-hmm. the storyline. And so when, you, when I gave them sort of, you know, quote unquote permission, you know, just let them say, hey, you know, you don't use this in your language that way. You don't have to use it in your translation in this different sort of way. And so when they had that permission, they just started cutting out all the extra, you know, thens and all the extra ands. And then we talked about, okay, in the Bible text, here's where the problem got solved. How about if we put it there? And they're like, yes, that sounds good. And I don't know that we We're able to find all those places, but we did find a lot of them and it helped, you know, they were much more happy with their work and they felt it was much clearer in in the presentation of the story.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's an excellent sort of illustration of the question you raised earlier in terms of where does the meaning lie? You know, if it's in the words, then... It, only the words, then this word chi in Greek, you would have to be looking for some word every single time. But this really illustrates that even in the Greek language, that's serving a, a certain mm-hmm. function, mm-hmm. not right. just because it's a word. And so you you would find that in this in the languages you had in mind there, that they, they cover that connecting feature just in a different way. It's not vocalized somehow, at least at the word level. And that's, right. that's really fascinating. You had another example nice. you shared with us. We were prepping here about uh, context and cultural values that came out during the workshop. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Right. So one of the stories that came out in the workshop, and and I had these stories before we actually conducted the workshop. So Mm. Carla and I were trying to come up with some analysis that we could make sense of prior. And one of the stories was about two young women, and they had gone to the farm and on their way home, somehow the rice got lost or certain certain baskets of the rice got lost. And so they were at odds with one another. And from my cultural perspective, the problem was solved when the rice was found, right? Mm -hmm. But the discourse markers weren't matching with those storyline features, the connectors, or, you know, as you saw the little changes. So we knew those were, were marking something, but it didn't make sense. And in this story, there was a wise uncle who was mediating between these two women. And it turns out that the interrogation was more important to the storyline than the the story of going to the farm and coming back without rice, mm. and his advice for reconciliation was more important than finding the rice, mm. and so this was the resolution of the story where he told them to just forget about it, which in Liberian culture is is telling you to forgive the other person, okay. and so, you know, that whole thing of relationships are for far more important than the task is so cultural. Mm. So restoring the relationship between those two young women was more important than finding the lost rice, even though they did, you know, find it. So I missed the storyline and I missed how the markers were being used. And so relating this to translation, then we see how the culture affects the climax. It affects the resolution. Mm -hmm. Only the most important people were allowed to have the direct quotations and so that, that influences how we translate gospel stories, you know, mm-hmm. who gets to speak, who doesn't, what connectors do we use when there is resolution, and putting those in the right places in that storyline is going to make a big difference in how people understand the message. And then also giving the skills to the translators so they know how to do this, that's going to make their translations more accurate, beautiful, and clear.
1: That's really, that's really great. And, you know, musing on what you said in this story here, the, the relationships were more important than the lost mm-hmm. rice and the story of fixing the relationship was important. And, you know, we didn't ask you this before, so I'm not going to put you on the spot that that you have to know the answer. But I just wonder how that will speak to as the translation goes along, just the concept of forgiveness mm-hmm. in general and how God, uh, you know, positions himself with with humanity and then encourages humanity to interact with each other. There's some possible fascinating new ways of understanding that that could come from this process.
0: Right. And, you know, that also goes with their culture. God is already prepared in their culture, things that the Bible is, Mm -hmm. you know, as Americans, we maybe miss because we are so task oriented. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this culture is already relationship oriented. So seeing God, Jesus as our mediator, that's a really, really great point. And, And the forgiveness that he's given us, but that then we extend to others.
1: Yeah. Just one of the great gifts of, of uh, again, the contextualization of the gospel message has the opportunity to inform the universal right. Christian church right. as well. That's, that's what it's right. it actually it
2: absolutely like how we can sharpen one another based off of you know where we come from and approaching, posturing to read Scripture, hear Scripture, and how informed we can become as we hear it from different perspectives. And like you said, like a discourse marker, sharing where the resolution is and the conflict, reaching a point that it's just like, oh, well, that brings things into a new perspective as the church, as Christians, we come together and we talk about these things. And it's it's just a beautiful story in the the global church.
1: Yeah, now we can't really, in these times, record an episode without having to mention (laughs) COVID-19. So, you know, a year ago at this time, or getting close to a year ago, uh, you attended the dedication of the Gola New Testament in Liberia right before everything shut down with COVID. So talk to us a little bit about what happens at a New Testament dedication, the context of the program, who was there with you, and, and just what that meant for you.
0: Right. Well, every dedication is different because usually the local churches are going to plan it, And so they bring in their their own culture and ways of making, you know, honoring something or celebrating. Mm -hmm. And so this program was held in Tubmanburg, which is one of the major cities in the Gola region. And it was, um, you know, finding a place where where all church bodies would be welcome to attend. Mm -hmm. And so pastors and dignitaries and local celebrities were invited along with, of course, anybody who was able to come and celebrate so I I basically just showed up at the <laughs> at the dedication. I didn't really have any role to play as far as planning for it. Mm-hmm. That was all on the local level. And so they had dancers and singers and speeches. Of course, that's always important and acknowledgements and of anybody and everybody that was involved in the whole process. So they they gave the the translation team. Um, certificates and their their copy of the scriptures and then of course they the scriptures were there available for people to uh, purchase
1: yeah that. so these these events are an opportunity to sort of stop and reflect uh, the kind of a milestone in in the the life of the Christian community there right. when you you think about what you saw there and your involvement what inspired you in that process and your relationships with the the community
0: well the the people I worked mostly with was just the the teams themselves, mm-hmm. and just seeing their dedication, they often sacrificed their time, their other employment opportunities, working on their farms. Um, they were very dedicated to the job. and the one of the local churches, uh, the Catholic Church in that area, you know, donated housing for me, they donated workspace. Mm-hmm. And so you mm-hmm. saw this this desire to have that word of God mm-hmm. in a format that they could understand. And 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 these guys also, they, they, um, they were also the literacy teachers in many areas. So they were working both on the translation as well as teaching other people to read and
2: write their language. So what was your biggest takeaway from the dedication event, Becky?
0: So I think my biggest takeaway was just the celebration. It was such a celebration service, starting with one of their local gals who came in and sang several numbers. People were celebrating the Word of God. They brought the Word of God in, they were dancing, they had all the women bringing it in, they wrapped it up like a gift, Mm. and they were celebrating. And that is sometimes, you know, we, we take that for granted. Uh, having God's Word is something truly to celebrate. Mm-hmm.
1: Definitely is, yeah. Even if just one Sunday in the year yeah. at church, we all gave a standing ovation when they opened that Bible, right. <laughs> just right. to, just to remind right. ourselves how awesome it is that God has spoken to us and we can interact with His Word freely.
2: I do find the dedications how powerful it is of the imagery. Like you said, they they wrapped it up as a gift, yeah. and I've heard before, you know, how it's been presented along with the the local grain as you know that this is the sustenance. Or bringing in the the boxes of the New Testaments on a, a cart uh, drawn by oxen. You know that that's what you you would do yeah, with here the, comes chief. the king. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. That how much beauty there is in that symbolism and enriching for the community, but again, enriching for that global church. Pretty awesome. So what do you think um, as a church in the West that we can learn from our ministry colleagues around the world, specifically in Liberia?
0: Well, I think one thing we've already talked about,
2: how relationship is so important
0: and restoring that relationship I also think in these places where the church is, where they haven't had it in their own language, they realize how important it is. It's, it is is truth, and it's not to be taken lightly. It's not something to be taken for granted. And I think another thing, too, is they have a very deep, clear perception of the spiritual world. It's very real to them. It's not mythological as it has become in the West. And so actually their worldview is quite a bit closer to the worldview that we see in the scriptures.
1: Yeah, and in your time as in cross-cultural, what they now call intercultural ministry, and that's one of the hardest types of work to do, what's been some of the most important things you've learned over the the number of years that you've been involved in different ways in intercultural missionary service?
0: Well, for one thing, we don't know it all coming from our culture and our perspective, so there's this constantly this learning process and sometimes relearning. Sometimes you think you know something and then something else happens. And, and so you learn more. And I think, you know, coming to that grip on relationships being so important. Um, so there, it's hard to pick out just one thing. Sure. Witnessing that strong bond, I have the privilege of working with Christians in Liberia. And so that fellowship that we have in Christ, no matter what the culture we have the same Holy Spirit. And the love that comes from that, that can grow despite any differences that we might have. And I guess too, I've also been always amazed and kind of in awe as, as we look at God's mission and how He plans and how He places people. So, you know, just God's timing on various people when they're there with their talents and gifts is really important. He provides the right people at the right time, you know, whether they are linguists, whether they're exegetes, mother tongue translators, administrative staff, or people who are praying for and supporting the work that we do. Um each one of them is needed just at the time that God calls them to that service.
2: So what advice would you have for individuals who are considering intercultural missionary service?
0: Well, from my, you know my perspective, God calling me when I was young through prayer, It's listen to God's voice. If God puts a particular aspect of his mission on your heart, follow it. He will lead you through those things that seem impossible. When I was considering, you know, coming back into LBT, it just didn't seem possible because we weren't able to pick up and go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it was my pastor who actually said, if God's leading you that way, you need to pursue it. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just... Looking for those doors to open and, and uh, walking through them.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so true. And uh, Bible translation work, and even folks that don't work in Bible translation, but maybe that work with the scriptures kind of in a technical role, and or, or some aspect of it is technical, you know, it serves, it, there's a purpose and an interface that you have with that. But for you, what's the role of your faith and the Bible in your everyday life as a, as a Christian?
0: Right. Well, I grew up in the faith, so there's not a time that I remember not having Jesus in my life Mm -hmm. and, you know, going to Sunday school and, and reading scripture at at Sunday school and also at home. So Jesus has always been my best friend and my savior. And I knew that, you know, we learned about him in the Bible. And so it was important to me that others have the Bible too to learn about Jesus as we know, those of us that study the scripture, it seems like every time we read a verse, even if we've read it a hundred times, mm-hmm. we learn, we continue yeah. to learn. The Bible is just rich in wisdom and teaching, which benefits us, you know, benefits me personally on a on a daily basis. Mm-hmm.
1: True. Sure such a privilege to be able to have a, a role where you're pointed back to scripture and, and then I think it's really great perspective you bring that, you know, I'm not just doing this as a technical thing. The Bible speaks to me mm. every time right. I engage it. Yeah.
0: Right. And in fact, when I do study for translation, it's very different than when I do study for what's God saying to me. Mm-hmm. It's just very, a very different focus um, as we're listening for what he's trying to tell us.
1: So in your work, what gives you the most joy? What do you love about, about what you do?
0: Well, there are a lot of things that give me joy in my work. One of the big things is just knowing that I'm doing what God has called me to do and then of course doing something that has eternal benefits. Mm. So, you know, I don't always get to see what God's word does in people's lives, but we know from his word that it goes out and it does not come back void. Mm. And people need to to learn about who Jesus is and their savior and we know that that has an eternal eternal result. So, uh, also working with people who have such a dedication to their faith both People that I work with here at LBT, but also then, of course, the, the mother tongue translators and the other staff that are in Liberia. They have very unwavering faith. Some of the challenges in paying attention to the details and the puzzles as we figure out, OK, how should we translate this and what would be the best way to make it clear? Um, I also enjoy traveling and just meeting all the interesting people, both here and over there. So lots of different things.
1: So in your work with LBT in, in the recent past, have hit several milestones. You finished your doctorate. The Golden New Testament was dedicated. Mm-hmm. There has, of course, been an unexpected uh, wrench thrown in the works with COVID. But as you look to Great. the future, what are, you, what are you looking forward to? And what's, what's on the horizon? What's next for you in your work with LBT and, and with our uh, colleagues in Liberia?
0: Well, I'm I'm looking forward to just continuing on with with some of the things that we've been doing. You know, the the two projects that were there that I've been working on over the past seven or so years, we're getting close to finishing their Old Testaments and either revising or, or redoing their New Testaments. So, we're looking forward to that in the next couple of years to. To finishing that another thing was to get more of the internet checking working and we've been forced to do that with the pandemic and not being able to travel so we've just been improving on that whole process so while we we still need to make the in-person visits we can um, supplement the time and the checking time by doing the checking over the internet and then also possibly, um, I'm looking forward to the the new project that we've got going. The Bondi Old Testament now is 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 a project that is begun, and then also possibly helping out with some translations in
2: Cameroon.
0: So, um, right. lots That's of exciting. things to look forward to. Yeah. And and I'm hoping, yeah, I would I would I'd really love to get back there. It's it's been almost a year again, so.
1: Yeah. So how can we pray for your ministry and for colleagues in in Liberia and maybe new colleagues in Cameroon?
0: Um, The very basic things of just good health, praying for uh, as they travel, the roads are not always real good. And just the safety of vehicles is, is something we take for granted here. But that's always very real there. Praying for just perseverance. Sometimes, you know, things get really tedious when you're trying to Make sure things are consistent and paying attention to the details. And maybe you're coming up with a struggle between, well, do I keep this looking more like my source text or do I need to make it, you know, readjust readjust the structures so that it, it will sound good to my culture? And then, of course, just relationships. You're working a lot um, on very close things people have put a lot of time and effort into something and then if you've ever been on a translation team and you come back together you're doing a lot of picking apart and mm-hmm. saying well maybe we should make this better and you know so relationships are always that's always an important aspect of our work so mm. just all of those kinds of things uh, praying for we appreciate very much
1: that's absolutely. great
2: absolutely Well, Becky, we are so thankful that you took some time out of your morning to join us and uh, to share a little bit about your ministry and how people might be able to get involved. Um, It's following you on our website and signing up for your prayer letter. And uh, we'll be continuing to keep you in prayer as you work with uh, partners in West Africa.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. It was good to be here and and talk with you and share a little more specifically some of these aspects as well.
1: Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. Look for past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org slash podcast, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is edited and produced by Andrew Olson and distributed by Sarah Lyons. Technical support for this episode was provided by Caleb Rodewald. The lovely and talented Emily Wilson was our co-host today. And our executive producer is Amy Gertz. Artwork for the podcast is designed by Caleb Rodewald. Music was written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Berdowski. So long for now.